Hello and welcome to episode two of the Intent to Improve Nutrition Club podcast series. In this week's episode, I wanted to read a passage from a really interesting book that I've read recently, uh, mentioned to one or two of you over the past few weeks or so. Um, the book is called Why We Eat Too Much and it's by Dr. Andrew Jenkinson. The passage that I wanted to highlight today is one about the impact of fluctuating blood sugar levels and insulin on both hunger and long-term body weight. So after we eat any food that contains carbohydrates, glucose starts to be dumped into the bloodstream. Glucose is basically the simplest form of carbohydrates once it's broken down in our bodies. So the pancreas senses this and starts to secrete insulin. Insulin is a hormone and its job is to direct the blood glucose into our cells, mainly our fat cells. When insulin levels are high, the body switches to storage mode. Insulin forces glucose from the blood and into the fat cells where it's converted to triglycerides. So high triglyceride levels are implicated in the risk of heart disease. High sugar intake causes the production of triglycerides and it's increasingly accepted now that sugar in the diet and not natural saturated fat is the main risk of heart disease. Once the blood glucose levels settle back down to our single teaspoon level, the insulin disappears and is no longer needed. The amount of insulin that the pancreas secretes is proportional to the amount of glucose being dumped into the circulation and the amount of glucose being dumped into our body and the speed at which it's being dumped depend on what we've eaten. Therefore, insulin levels are directly influenced by the type of food that we eat. Food or drink with high sugar content, for example Coca-Cola, will produce a large surge in insulin. Foods containing complex carbohydrates, for example a stick of celery, that need time for the body to break them down, will infuse their glucose much more slowly into the system and therefore produce a longer but less intense secretion of insulin more of a trickle. As an example, a teaspoon of sugar contains 4.2 grams, the same amount as in one eighth of a can of coke, and the same amount contained in four sticks of celery. If we drank a mouthful of coke, this would infuse sugar into our blood within minutes, causing a surge in our blood glucose level, doubling the amount, therefore a large spike of insulin would be needed to deal with it. If we ate four sticks of celery, our intestines would need up to an hour or two to break down the complicated chains of carbohydrate contained within the celery into simple sugars. Therefore, the blood sugar level would rise extremely slowly. Insulin would also rise slowly to deal with the sugar. So the total amount of insulin produced to deal with the coke sugar would be exactly the same as the total amount of insulin required to deal with the celery. However, the speed at which that insulin is released would be very different. To expand on this a little, sugar is sugar, whether it is in coke or celery. However, if the food or drink that is taken in lets go of the sugar too fast, and if that food has a large amount of sugar in it, then it will cause a violent spike in insulin secretion. The large surge in glucose entering the bloodstream is followed by a large um, surge in glucose Sorry, the, the large surge in the glucose entering the bloodstream is followed by a large um, surge in insulin. The insulin works to open the fat cells 
and suck the sugar into them but the catch is because of the insulin surge too much glucose leaves the bloodstream leading to the blood sugar level actually falling which subsequently sets off alarm bells in the brain as the brain is dependent on glucose to function. So the alarm gives us that feeling of anxiety and craving for any food that contains sugar. The brain is stepping into a critical survival mode saying get sugar fast. We can't ignore these messages and we have to act on them. Therefore, we tend to seek sugar wherever we can find it. Fortunately, in the Western environment, sugar is all around us. But unfortunately, sugar drenches most of our food. What the brain wants is less than a spoonful of sugar, maybe half a spoon. But what it gets is more likely to be a low-fat blueberry muffin containing nine spoonfuls of sugar. This sugar then floods the bloodstream again and insulin is called into action once again. A massive surge of it and the cycle gets repeated. This is known as the classic sugar roller coaster. Eat a highly refined sugary breakfast, cereal or toast and orange juice and you'll get a sugar spike soon afterwards. By mid-morning your blood sugar levels will have plummeted due to the large reactive spike in insulin forcing sugar away from your blood and into your fat cells. It's at this time in the mid-morning that you'll get a craving for more sugar and may go to the coffee shop and grab that muffin. Feel good again for a little bit and then pre-lunch get that energy drop, that craving for sugar again where you might get a meal deal including a sandwich, crisps and a coke up again and then down again repeated all day. So this is the short-term impact that a high sugar diet or a fine carbohydrates can have on our hunger levels and our energy levels. However, there's a little bit more to it than that involving insulin. So there was an interesting study that was done in San Diego, California, confirming that insulin works on our long-term body weight. So in this study, the weight of 14 diabetics was measured um, as their insulin therapy was slowly increased over a period of six months until their blood glucose levels had been controlled. The study confirmed that the subjects gained over eight kilograms, so one stone, four pounds, However, when they analysed just how much the subjects, the people in the study were eating while on insulin therapy, they were surprised. Despite the weight gain, the subjects seemed to be eating 300 calories less per day than they had prior to the insulin treatment. As mentioned previously in the book, insulin can cause the master controller of our weight, leptin, which is a hormone produced by our fat to malfunction. So essentially, leptin is a hormone that's constantly released by the amount of fat in our body, telling our brain what our energy stores are, what our fat stores are, and how much therefore we need to eat. So high release of insulin can cause this leptin signal to malfunction. The metabolic effects of leptin resistance in this case caused by high insulin levels are the same as if leptin levels have been reduced by weight loss from an illness or a famine, famine or potentially a diet, so a low metabolic rate. In this study, despite subjects eating less, their metabolisms had slowed down, resulting in weight gain. A perfect example of how insulin 
drives body weight up and metabolism down. So as well as acting directly on cells to encourage energy storage and and weight gain, insulin also acts indirectly to promote weight gain by causing leptin resistance. In terms of what this means and practical advice to take away, we can say a few things. So firstly, be really careful of foods that are high in sugar or refined carbohydrates, things like sweets, chocolate, cake, snack bars, cereal or bread. They are likely to make you more hungry in the short term, as well as increasing insulin levels, therefore blocking leptin signaling to your brain and therefore decreasing your metabolism, slowing down your metabolism, which may lead to long-term weight gain. You can also eat a high fiber diet, for example, fruit, veg, and beans. This will slow down digestion, control the release of insulin and reduce hunger, protecting your metabolism in the long run. We're gonna leave it there for episode two. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you tune in next week. Welcome to episode number three of the Intent to Improve Nutrition Club podcast series. In this week's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about fibre and the significant role that fibre has to play in promoting both overall health and maintaining a healthy weight. Fibre and gut health is a massive topic, um, which we may cover again in subsequent episodes. But today I just wanted to highlight one study that was completed in 2019 by a man whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm just going to call him Derek. So the study showed that fibre intake predicts weight loss and diet adherence in adults consuming calorie restricted diets. The effects of diet composition on weight loss are not particularly well understood. In addition to calorie intake, fibre intake energy density, macronutrient composition and demographic characteristics have all been widely reported to contribute to weight loss. The primary aim of this analysis was to assess the role of dietary fibre as a predictor of weight loss in participants who consumed calorie restricted diets, so 750 calories less than their estimated energy needs for six months using data from a randomized trial that examined the effects of calorie restricted diets varying in macronutrient composition on weight loss in adults. 345 participants provided dietary records at baseline and then again at six months. The analysis considered fiber, energy density, fat, age, adherence, baseline weight, race, changes in carbohydrate, fat and fibre intake but of all of those things the most influential predictor out of everything just mentioned was total fibre intake. So dietary fibre intake independently of macronutrient and calorie intake promotes weight loss and dietary adherence in adults consuming a calorie restricted diet. Despite all participants attempting to eat the same relative calorie deficit, 
those who consume the most fiber lost lost on average 10.3 kilograms of body weight over the six months versus 5.8 kilograms of body weight lost in those who consumed an average amount of fiber it's quite a big difference it's important to note that this study looks at weight loss alone whereas in reality the benefit of a whole food high fiber diet is far greater than just uh, maintaining a healthy body weight there is more and more research servicing that correlates gut health to brain health and the prevention of many chronic diseases fiber content is hugely important when it comes to maintaining a healthy gut this is something that we'll touch on uh, hopefully in later episodes in terms of how a high fiber diet helps to promote greater fat loss we can say a few things so soluble fiber is a powerful natural appetite suppressant by suppressing your appetite you're more likely to reduce your calorie intake which can of course help you to lose weight there are several theories about how soluble fiber can help reduce your appetite first soluble fiber helps regulate hormones involved in appetite control which we referred to a couple of times in previous episodes some studies have found that eating soluble fiber reduces the levels of hunger hormones produced by the body uh, including ghrelin others have shown that soluble fiber increases the production of hormones that make you feel full second fiber can reduce appetite by slowing the movement of food through the gut as mentioned in episode two when nutrients like glucose are released slowly into your gut into the bloodstream your body releases insulin at a slower rate which is linked to a reduced sense of hunger so what are good sources of soluble fiber as you may have guessed soluble fiber can be found in a variety of whole foods a variety of plant-based foods foods that are high in soluble fiber include black beans kidney beans avocados nuts flax seeds sweet potatoes broccoli carrots uh, fruits like apricots apples and oranges as well as porridge oats in fact most whole plant-based foods contain a decent amount of fiber in contrast if your diet contains a significant amount of processed foods it's likely that your fiber intake will be much less than optimal for fat loss and overall health that's going to be it for episode three hope you enjoyed it please tune in again next week for episode number four